This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious, sugar-free electrolyte drink mix. As a coach, we are constantly trying to find the best products for our athletes to train and compete at their highest level. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. Plus, it has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients, and is gluten-free. With eight delicious flavors, you are guaranteed to find one your taste buds will love. I know our athletes love the citrus salt. We keep a variety box in the office, and our athletes stop by every day on their way to practice and games to load up. At this point, they won't even touch another product. With amazing products and sponsors like Element, our podcast would not be possible. Right now, when you click on our affiliate link and place your first Element order, Element will give us 100% commission. Element might have the best return policy on the planet. If you don't love it, you'll be instantly refunded. Our next partner has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted a simple all-in-one solution as opposed to the ever-changing variety of supplements I have been taking for as long as I can remember. Sometimes up to three ramekins a day full of pills and powders trying to find the right formula for peak performance. Now that I've been taking Athletic Greens for a few months, I love it and I will never go back. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I take one scoop in the morning on an empty stomach and an additional one in the evening when I'm feeling run down. I've seen such a difference in my own performance that I recently ordered additional AG1 for the rest of my family to use. It costs you less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit, and supports better sleep quality and recovery, in addition to mental clarity and alertness. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash contacts. Again, this is athleticgreens.com slash contacts to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Welcome to the Contacts Coaching Podcast, dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches, sharing what they have learned throughout their career. The show is designed to serve as a digital database of mentorship from a wide network of coaches whose innovative, reflective, and diverse knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. In addition to sport-specific expertise, each episode also dives into the ways in which culture, strategy, and tactics can cross from one discipline to another. I'm your host, Justin Klein. Welcome back to the Contacts Coaching Podcast. We are joined by Coach Derek Swafford, Athletic Director at Fortune Early College High School in Sacramento. Coach, great catching up this weekend and now having you on the show. Thanks for being here today. 
Thank you. It was good being with you to reminiscing about the days you guys beat me. <laughs> it's all good. I, like That's I said, it. it was magical and I meant that was a magical night. <laughs> yeah, it was good seeing you, man. Really good for me. What's the cliche? The sun shines on every dog one day. I forget. Yeah. But whatever. It's all good. Yeah. yeah. Do me a favor, coach, and let's try to ground the audience here in who you are and your background. And so what I usually want to know is if you take us through your background as a coach, how did you get into the field and what was the process for kind of landing your first job and then the subsequent steps you've had along the way? I fell into coaching, ironically, my son, hardball baseball at Land Park in Sacramento, the coach kept not showing up. And I, I kept seeing the kids being disappointed. So my son said, Dad, can you coach us? And that's how I really fell into coaching through baseball. Met some kids from Elk Grove who were playing Zarsky out there at Elk Grove High. And they wanted to assistant out there. And then I applied for it. And the kids wanted me to apply. They kept telling Zarsky, called me and said, we need a coach. And I said, yeah, I've never coached. I don't know what it is. <laughs> like everybody else, you got to start somewhere. And I, I spent one year there. And then Paul Casey over at Valley, he wooed me over there for six years. And then I was done because I was doing my PhD. I went to Ukraine a couple of times to, and got my existential psychotherapy certification there in Russia, Moscow, and Ukraine. That was a great time for me and learning basically a really life lesson. And then I get a call from... Uh, Foothill, because I applied for the girls' job, and Nigre was there, the athletic director there, and the Thomas was just being built and finishing. It wasn't even finished yet, and they, it, I didn't get the job there at Foothill, but he recommended me for the Thomas, and the Thomas picked me up. Did girls' varsity there for three years. All from Sac High, you know, the program is in shambles. It hasn't had a winning season in five years. I think they only won two games. It was just in shambles. And not knowing that they had already decided they was going to hire me. So they gave me the job and I said, oh, okay, I'll set up the challenge. It was a challenge to turn that program around like that. No money in the middle of June, no schedule, no nothing, no uniforms, mismatch. So I just took it on. And 16 years later, we held a very good winning season for a decade. 26 graduates that played at top level, Baylor, San Diego State, Chase Tapley, Fred, uh, Kevin Galloway, three pros out of that, some overseas, my son included. So really proud of that. That was 16 years, built one of the biggest uh, high school tournaments, 32 teams, St. Hope Classic. And we had teams from out of the country, all around from out of the state. And that was out of necessity to raise money. <laughs> and it just became something that the city embraced and everybody embraced. And then I stayed there and again, wasn't coaching no more, wasn't thinking about coaching no more, really getting ready to say, hey, it's time for me to leave SAC High. And then I get a call and we would like to ask you, how would you run an athletic department? And again, I'm just a rookie. I'm not thinking they're looking at me. So I go in and sit down with the, the chief principals of Fortune Early College High School, who I already knew most of them because they had worked at SAC High and helped build SAC High when it started back in the day. And I told him what I would do and how long it would take me, five years. Today is six years, and we made it, got to the golden one and lost in the final, but that was, I promise, kept, promise made. And so 
I told them, yeah, I would do it. And they said, you can even design the facility. And I was just shocked with that. Wow. Nobody gets that kind of offer. So I just took it on. I just say opportunity is not about being safe. A lot of people want to be safe with opportunity. Opportunity is about I'm jumping in head in. I'm going to make the most of it and I'm going to live it 24-7. And that's what people don't see like yourself and all the successful coaches is that we live this 24 hours. And, you know, we're getting up dealing with the moms. We're getting up dealing with the just going on parents. You're getting up dealing with guys and you they want you to tell you, you to tell them they're great. <laughs> and you got to walk a thin line with that. So once I got that done, we built the facility. It's beautiful. To see it on paper and then to see it come to fruition is something that's things you do let out, you write it out, you know, game plan, right? Game plans, you change in the middle of the stream. And I'm really proud of that. And I think it's the best thing I ever had and happened to me in my life. And so now this is my sixth year with them. They gave me the keys to the car. They didn't say no to not one thing I asked, not one thing. We got the big jumbotron. We got the weight room. We got the million dollar track. We got all of that. And so that's where I'll stay until it's time to go. That's an awesome story. I want to go back to what you said about going to the Ukraine and Russia. And what I want to know from you, and we've had a few chats about this over the years, but the value of, let's call it travel, not necessarily international, but right. international travel. As you're growing and maturing from the standpoint of exposure and opening your eyes to things. As we joked at the conference, I went to Japan a couple of weeks ago, my first yeah, yeah. trip at 48 years old, never had a right. passport, always had the excuse, wow, basketball's year round, this, that, and the other thing. What exactly. would you tell people as they're young getting into this about the value of that experience and what you've gleaned from all of your trips and that you could package into, hey, here's what's important. And I know that's going on, but take a little time and do this. Yeah, I tell people education is education, academia is academia, but full academia means that you went out your comfort zone and you traveled to outside the country, to another state, to the South, to see how other people live because that's going to impact you. There's no way you can get on that plane and go to Japan and not come back changed. There's just no way. I don't care if you resist it, if you say, oh, it wasn't nothing. You're coming back changed because you've seen what happens in the other side of the world. And when you walk back on, I'll give you a better example. Each time I go to Jamaica, when I, I, I used to have a home there, each time I would go to Jamaica, I would come back different. That was my soul searching cleansiness for me because I knew those people had nothing. My wife, they had nothing. When I say nothing, and when you come back and people gripe, griping and bitching about this and that, you just have a calmness about yourself. It's like, it's really not that important. So going to Ukraine, I learned a lot about how they look at nursing, like nursing's for men and for women. It's not for men. You That's why you won't see. I, I, there was one, I never will forget Sasha. That's what his name was. And he educated me, says, I'm the only male nurse in the whole city, probably country, hmm. because they look at that differently. Traveling, I tell people, you have to travel. And particularly now in the U.S., as multiracial as the U.S. is coming, becoming, you have to know something about the other cultures and stuff. Like I took Spanish and I got to see and I was like, aha, I want to get out of Spanish. I wish I had kept it up. Now, 30 years later, 
who's bilingual is the one that most likely is going to get hired. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Where would you say, besides your annual reset trips to Jamaica, where would you say are other places that surprised you and how much they had to offer over your years of travel? I loved Amsterdam. I had a one day stay over there and I took full advantage was laying up going over to Russia and I just took full, I didn't go to sleep. I just hit the town. I went out and marijuana was legal. That, this was 10 years ago, 20 years. Marijuana was legal. I was going, oh, this legal here? Okay. They sell it like beer. You get a menu at the bar and all that. <laughs> so you're like, I'm like, oh. And the light rail was like being at Disneyland. It's talking five different languages and you get on it. And then the police are driving around these big old Mercedes Benz. And it was Gildors. The money's over there, Gildors. So you got to get used to the Gildors. And I'm like, man, what a... And then they had every rehab for drug abuse available for free. Where if you wanted to rehab, you went there. And that was it. And nobody... They didn't have, they didn't have that much crime. And then Singapore was just excellent where my son said. I just... I could really live there. And surprisingly, certain parts of Cuba... I've been there three or four times. Each time was just wonderful. You just like anywhere else. You don't go to that side of the town. You go there. And you... So I would say each time I come back, I look and I compare to how our government treats our people for equity. And what I mean by equity in terms of education is definitely the foundation of growth for any country. When you look at Hyundai, that was made in Korea, I believe. They had a 25-year plan, and see, a lot of people don't understand, to make that car one of the top cars. Well, here it is. Guess who's getting a lot of play now? And so all their, the whole country went to automobile, automobile. And then so they come over here being engineers. They come over here being all those high-tech jobs. And pretty much everybody outside the United States comes here with math skills that's off the chain. Yeah. They come here with math skills. They want to learn English, number one. Their math skills are already bar none. And so, you know, I, I, I counsel at City College. We had a young African kid come in, and his math skills were so far off the chain that we had nothing to offer him. Hmm. He was just ready to go. He just wanted to learn English. And, and they think, some of them talk great English. They just don't know it. They think it's not good enough. And so we, we have to make sure that People have access to education. I got my AA for free, mm. my my first AA because you went to community college for free. You just find out for financial aid, and you went to school, yeah. and that was it. You've built something at the school you're at, not you personally, but the school structure. And if you could, I got two questions on this. One, what are the challenges that you can point to? about starting a new school and being part of the leadership team that you didn't expect. And on the back end of that, since you just mentioned this AA deal, part of your mission at the school is these kids are dual enrolled at the community college and the high school. So they actually graduate high school with their AA. So if you could touch on some things you've learned and some unexpected challenges and starting a new organization from the ground up, because for coaches, it's similar to revamping a program, but also the, the value add of that piece of walking out of high school with an A already and what you've seen from that standpoint with your graduates? 
The leadership team, we call it the cabinet, and I'm part of that. They make me part of that. It's, I'm not separate as athletics. Athletics is part of academia there. So we make sure it's included. And what I didn't know is it's going to always be a fight because, one, when you're a small school, I think you know this, people want to put you to the side and like you're not important. If you don't have a great football team, you're not, you're not important. If you don't have a great basketball So we had to first get sanctioned by CIF, our section. And that was a jumping through some hoops for a minute because nobody took us serious. You got to realize we didn't have no no buildings, no nothing. We were renting our park and rec. We was renting churches. And I'm telling everybody, yeah, we're going to build this great school. We're going to have this great program. Nobody believes it until they see the proof is in the pudding. That was a that first five years until so we're in this new facility, eight acre facility, $22 million facility, two years in August. So that was, and so now after getting that built, we've already had a partnership with CRC, Cosumnes River, who says, you go these classes with what you do, you will graduate with an AA. Then we partnered up with Cal Poly San Luis Obispo out your way. And President Armstrong, great friend of mine, good dude, man. This dude is unbelievable. You, have you ever met him? I haven't met him yet, no. You should, man, and just tell him I sent you. Yeah, you're going to love it. He is great. And he can tell you about the program even more than us with Cal Poly. So we go down there two, three times a year. He comes to our campus, talks to our kids two or three times a year. He recruits African-American kids because he wants to make sure diversity is on the campus. And the AA all came together. So when my granddaughter's attending there now, she had two AAs when she walked out. So what a savings. What a savings for any parent. And then you go to an institution like Cal Poly, one of the top institutions in the country, to be debt-free. Because they, they go there and they help them pay for everything. And so that came about. And now we're working on our second AA, which is how to we're going to stream all our athletics we're going to have our own athletic network where we stream our own athletics and they get an AA through Consumers who has television production and streaming. Wow. Fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. Can you, besides the CIF piece in getting the athletic program started, what other challenges did the school face in, in getting started from a standpoint of you had no buildings? Obviously, that's a huge challenge. What about attracting students to the school and retaining them? Because I believe you told me you have 2,000 students, PK to 12, and there are something like 11 different campuses. But how have you navigated the retention piece over the years? And it doesn't need to be elaborate, but just a, a couple minute sound bites so that we can all understand exactly that uphill battle from not just the high school level, but also the pre-K level. And I'm speaking a little bit just on what I know, but the, the CEO and and listening to our CEO in, in meetings, we go TK through 12. So that means we're training our kids from, matter of fact, we take our third and fourth and fifth graders to Cal Poly and they spend the night in the dorms. Mm. So they can learn, particularly for African-American kids, that this is what college looks like. This is where you belong. Mm. So from TK, you start uh, matriculating through all our system. If you choose, because some parents are good, like this is too hard. Some parents, you get, I don't, I tell everybody, you're not going to get 100%, but if you get 75%, that's great. If you get 80%, that's great. And before COVID, our 
English and math scores and everything was in the top of with everybody else. So after COVID, we dived down a little bit. We're working towards getting that back up, and that's working. Uh, that's how we figure getting them young, getting them used to a system that's there, that's anchored there for like anything else. After okay, we'll be there three, two years, five years. We figure in five, six years, we'll be a stop that everybody wants to get to, and we'll have a waiting list. Nice, love it. Great model. All right, let's pivot back to sports here. So one of the things I usually ask is, what is the best thing you do in your program that has the largest ripple effect on culture? And for you, since we have such a long track record, I'm curious in what, if possible, a tangible, right, that you can share that other people can borrow, steal, appropriate but something that has gone with you every single place. I started this back in the Thomas. I still do it today because it's that transformational for these kids. And then what's a second piece that you have now developed that will go with you wherever that next stop is, even though you're air quote retiring next, I'm sure you'll be back in it in some mix, but I always ask that right as something to offer. Hey, this is really powerful and this is what we do. And then the impact that it has. In today's family, particularly with inner city kids and people valued education, it's culture building. It's culture building and discipline. And most people know all my all my career, I made big steps with Galloway. I thought we would have won state that year. And I set them down and I caught a lot of slack, but you have to stand for something. And what I try to tell the new coaches, and I have some new coaches, I try to pair them up with an old coach, what I call an OG. So they can understand that it's not about winning all the time. It's about building. And when you go into the game, I got to win this year, and you just got the job, you're not going to win if you do it just by luck because your culture is not built. So that's where you see some go up and down. When you build a culture, that's long-term that everybody buys into. That means mom, dad, the kid, the principal, everybody has bought into that culture. And that's what we do at Fortune. The culture is built... And I get to set it because I'm the disciplinary in it. And the other thing is I've been in it so long that I'm getting the kids of kids still with the sack high mm -hmm. and they're saying, don't mess with him. He's going to call you on everything and I'm going to back him up because he's going to call me on it. <laughs> so that helps a lot, but you got to pay your dues. You can't just come and just say, I'm going to be this great coach. I tell my new coaches, if you haven't been in the game five years, you're not a good coach. You're just not a good coach. It just takes five years just to get, it's like a doctor. His internship may be 10 years. Coaching is the same thing. People don't understand. You just want to win, win, win because you want to, but are you going to stand for something? Because if you don't stand for nothing, your kids are not going to respect you. Yeah, no doubt. On that note, let me ask this then. How has your approach changed over the years? If that's always been the anchor in the ground, what are some things and what are some ways in which your approach has changed since you started to this year? Oh, yeah. The kids get me all the time, the ones that know me. They go, you've changed a lot. Yeah, it's a different time. You got, we were dealing with kids with IEPs. We're dealing with kids that got ADHD and taking medication. And they're on your sports team. It's like you got to speak their language. You got to bring all the X's and O's. I mean, nothing to a kid that can't keep concepts together. You can call Arizona. You can call whatever you want. You can call it play. And I had to tell my coaches, you got to bring that down. This guy can't even remember past five seconds. And you're trying to teach him basketball so you can be this great coach. 
You're not. A great coach takes what he has and wins mm-hmm. and or competes. You don't have to win. Just And that's where I've always come. That's been my anchor. Mm-hmm. It's like I can coach with anybody. But what I want to do is make sure that my kids can compete. Mm-hmm. The winning and losing comes out for that. Yeah. As the athletic director and even back in your dean days at Sac High, you were super present on campus, being around, observing other things that are going on. And now with the formal title, you have more responsibility to nurture other teams. I'm always interested in what coaches have learned watching other teams that aren't basketball teams that they've been able to grow from and utilize as they go back to their own discipline. Are there is there anything that you've been able to take directly from other coaches, from other sports that has crossed over into what you do? Oh, yeah. I'm always looking at the, the successful coaches. Not to copy their win record, but to copy what are you doing with your athletes? Because it's like with music. There's only so many notes. You got you can't invent the game. You just got to improve it and use it for your community. My community happens to have more African-Americans in it. So therefore, I have to understand, look at the family dynamics, look at is there any deficits in academics so I can talk with the teachers and the teachers and we can work and say, we can dangle a carrot. We got to be that that I do a lot more than I ever did. You got to have a relationship with your teacher, your principal. I think you do that. Well, if you don't have that relationship that wants sports on your campus or they think sports is secondary, it's a losing cause. You're just not going to be on most of the programs that are not doing well. Their principals don't see a value in sports. It's just a nuisance. It's all oh, we got to do it, but we don't want to do it. I don't want to put the manpower over there because the schools that have good athletics have great academics. They just do. Yeah, no doubt. Great point. And I would love to know for our younger brethren and sisters, if you are in that situation where the administration is ambivalent, let's say, to the impact of athletics. How would you recommend helping them to come alongside of you, knowing how valuable it is, right? And it's not just you shouldn't coach there because that's not always the option, right? There's kids there that need to be served. So how do you work over time? Because I'm sure you've had a few that to get the administration on board with the value and impact of athletics. Once your first decent season, that helps because then they start seeing, oh, my gym is getting a little full here. Mm-hmm. Then, or you try to figure out how the uh, angle that you can prove to them, and you usually can with data and everything that you can prove that I can, academics and athletics. So, we just did a podcast with my CEO, just like I'm doing with you, and we talked about that. And we went, in, we went into it in detail because I didn't see it in me. I'm just doing my job. That's all. When you focus, it's not a job. And then everybody goes, my job is, is fun. When you see your job as just work, is you're going to not do well in it. And you're most likely going to skip around, skip around because you don't love your job. Me, I get up every day with energy and ready to go. We got the section trials today. I got four kids that are going to go out there and run. They never ran. They might make it. They made it last year. That's what I get joy from seeing that. Oh, okay. Now I can push on you a little more. For the new coaches, and administrators, because they're turning over. You got new, younger administrators coming in. And so they have to understand that a portion of your budget needs to go to your athletics and not just hoard it on academics, because that gets boring after a while. You can drive on a kid, even a student wants to play video games. That's their, so you, 
that's what you got to do is politics in a way that that nobody really sees, you know? Yeah. I think the key takeaway, if people are trying to parse through that, is that athletics is very outward facing. And if you can cultivate some success there, it's going to draw a lot of attention to the school in a positive way. And therefore, how do you leverage that to help your administrators come alongside of you in regards to the value add it has for students? And I think that's ultimately what we're trying to do is uplift students, give them passions to pursue, and hopefully keep them motivated for the academic side of things. Let me pivot here. Tim Ferriss is a guy I listen to all the time, and he often asks guests if they have a favorite failure that they have leaned on throughout their growth and development. Can you identify, if not a favorite, one or two that has been transformational in the growth that you have had over your career? The number one was, I never will forget, I was, I'm a high school dropout. A lot of people don't know that. I, I was high school dropout until I was 28, 29, and I didn't go to school until then. I went back. I was dropped out two times before I got serious. And the person that did that literally put me in his car and said, this is where you need to be and, and registered me at L.A. Valley College in L.A. And I became student body president and moved on from there and started understanding why education was important to me and what I could do with education in terms of helping people. Because once I sat on student body president, they had a <clears throat> I sat on a budget of a million dollars, which just blew me away for Student government, yeah. So I was in charge of dispersing to the child care and all these different clubs on campus. And I loved it. I was like, oh, wow, this is great. <laughs> you can have some money. Everybody can have some money. <laughs> they, so they loved me because I was pretty loose with the money. But And then the growth was when I moved to Sacramento and realized that as an African-American male, I could really show a positive side and forget all the racism Forget all the things that you're going to have to go through. You can use that excuse all the Not an excuse, but it's going to be there. And so if it's going to be there, are you going to soak in it or are you going to find a way around it? And I just chose to find a way around it and find people like yourself who accepted me and didn't give a damn what color I was or just good fellowship. And that's what you got to do. And so for me, each time I kept getting better at certain things and I didn't know why. And then I started realizing a lot of these kids don't have fathers. A lot of the kids at our high, at my high school at Fortune called me grandpa, hmm. and they need a grandpa. So I'll be your grandpa. If that gets you right, I'll be your grandpa, and they'll come in, they can get some water, and they can talk to me, and they know I'm going to get on them. So that comes, again, with time. And so over time, I look back and think, SAC was a blessing with all of the trials and tribulations I went through there. Even though on the outside, everybody says, oh, they had a great team. They didn't know all the trials and tribulations beneath that. So I would say that helped me grow. And then the first time that I stepped out the country, that was really big. for me. No doubt. That reminds me of something you told me at the conference and some of the auxiliary programs that you have at Fortune. One of them being that the fathers come on campus and help monitor during the school day. You also mentioned a couple others. Can you share those? Because I thought those were great ideas and ways in which to get the families involved in a way that was generative rather than combative. <clears throat> Absolutely. So the first program that I founded for us was PAC, Panther Academic Club, because we wanted them to know that this is the club. And so we had 10. So now I think they got 15 or 20 now. And you're going to college. 
and you're going to have your pick of colleges. So like, we started that, got that going. My granddaughter helped me with that. And then the next one was we did Fathers of Fortune recently. And Fathers of Fortune was fathers that come on and they just monitor the hallways. They just sit in the hallways and watch. You just observe. If you got, I always say it's the adults. If a program's not working, it's the adults. And I say it in the meetings all the time. If we're not working the right way, it's somebody here that's breaking the hole there that's not on board. So the fathers come on, their jackets, they got the jackets on. The kids know them, they can interact. And some of them are fathers of kids who attend. So that makes a big difference because my dad's on campus. I, I can't mess around. So that helps a lot. And uh, parent boosters, opposite word parent. Parents are to get involved. We meet once a, once a, the last Friday of the month uh, for one hour. I don't make it long. We say what we got to say. We do what we got to do. Nobody's got to sit there and grandstand about this or that. It's not a griping session. It's about what we need to do for our kids, what we need to do for athletics. How are we going to set up the fortune showcase, those type of things? And so your parent, because the children that do well, parents are involved, okay. hands down. Children that don't do well, the parents are not involved because it's a fight. I get it. You're low income. It's a fight every day. You just don't want that fight. I get it. But if you want your child to go to college, you got to fight with him. You got to fight with him or her. Yeah. No, that's great perspective. And I like all of those things. And I think they're gems for people looking to figure out how they can get another stakeholder besides the administration and the coaching staff and the teachers to walk alongside them and helping to uplift these students. All right. Last question. This one's a little bit of a brain teaser, but I know you'll come up with something here. And I got this from a guy named Dave Stahoviak. He runs a pod called Coaching for Leaders. And he always asks at the end of it, what is something that you have most recently changed your mind on? And the way in which I frame this is what's something that you used to be over here and you were pretty dug in on it, but now for whatever reason, you've changed your mind and you're over here and here's why. And it doesn't have to be coaching related. It can be life. It can be parenting. It can be teaching. It can be coaching. Who knows? But just something that you have intentionally changed your position on for a legitimate reason, because I think it highlights the idea of having a growth mindset and being a lifelong learner. Yeah. For me, it's coaching the new coaches. Mm. I'm in a position where I'm athletic director. People call me for jobs. And so I can say, this is how I want my coaches. And we're going to meet tomorrow. <laughs> Matter of fact, because I, what is a coach's responsibility? Go with their responsibility. We do it once a year. No, we meet probably two or three times a year. And because one thing about communication, if you don't communicate, you don't get nothing done. And the reason I say you don't get nothing done is because out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. So that's why people will go, why have a meeting? I say at least once a month. I get it. Meetings can be boring. I get it. Some people like to be in a meeting to hear themselves. But you got to meet. So you got to get to know each other. And I want my coaches. And right now we got four women. I'm really recruiting women heavy. My volleyball coaches both women they do girls and boys volleyball my girls coach assistant coach for the girls but I want a girls head coach they know that so we're going really so those three things I'm trying to and I, that's been a big thing with the state and everybody is getting women in because you got to start somewhere they go they don't know how to coach I didn't know how to coach either so you got to help somebody learn and when you do that so I really learned to reach out and stop talking about I hate this guy I hate her they don't know what they're doing and mentor them. I got one 
one coach that's a little needs a lot of help. And I said, I'm not here to fire you. I'm here to coach you up. Yeah. And that's what it should be. Yeah, no. And I think Eddie talked about that while we were at the conference in the main session where they were struggling with tennis and the tennis program was dying. And he found like an art teacher on campus that was enthusiastic and optimistic and wanted to be involved. And now he's got a thriving program. And his point was, look, you could teach somebody how to coach something, but you can't necessarily teach them to be optimistic, energetic, and wanting to be involved. And so if you have those people already on your campus, why not go get them and show them and teach them how to grow? Coaching is very important. Yeah, no doubt. Coach, I appreciate you taking the time this morning. I know you got a busy schedule. Keep me posted on how things are going, and I'm sure I'll see you soon. Man, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it, and good seeing you. This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down a Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious sugar-free electrolyte drink mix. As a coach, we are constantly trying to find the best products for our athletes to train and compete at their highest level. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. Plus, it has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients, and is gluten-free. With eight delicious flavors, you're guaranteed to find one your taste buds will love. I know our athletes love the citrus salt. We keep a variety box in the office, and our athletes stop by every day on their way to practice and games to load up. At this point, they won't even touch another electrolyte product. Without amazing products and sponsors like Element, our podcast would not be possible. Right now, when you click on our affiliate link and place your first Element order, Element will give us 100% commission. Last thing, Element might have the best return policy on the planet. If you don't love it, you'll be instantly refunded.